Bitcoin fixes the money. The Texas Beef Initiative fixes the food. It's time to fight for your lifestyle and your nutrition. This is Texas Slim's vision. Hey guys, this is Texas Slim with Texas Slim's Vision. I'm here tonight with Cole Bolton. Cole is the owner of KNC Cattle out of Austin, Texas, and we've been kind of nurturing a, a, a relationship as far as client and provider of animal protein the last about six uh, weeks. Me and Cole have been having several discussions, and I wanted to bring him onto the podcast so we can talk about Texas, we can talk about beef, we can talk about heritage, we can talk about all that kind of stuff that I'm always harping about. So, hey, Cole, thank you for you know joining the show tonight. It's it's one night before uh, Christmas Eve, so I really appreciate that. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, Although we celebrate all the holidays, we never stop working around here, so it's no problem whatsoever. Exactly, it's just kind of a way of life, isn't it? it so, is. hey, Cole, let's uh, let's talk about let's give some people uh, kind of an understanding where you come from, kind of your family, you know, kind of the, the ranching business, how you were raised, and let's let's kind of do a quick overview so we can have a good jumping off point here. Sure. Well. Uh, I think my website says I'm a third generation. The more I really dug into it, I'm probably a fifth or sixth generation rancher. But um, I grew up on, in East Texas in a little town called Jacksonville. It's in between Tyler and Shreveport, Louisiana. My family owned a cattle company, and we ran several thousand head of cattle. So I grew up from the time I was able to climb on a horse. Uh, this is what what I've known. Um I was instilled a, a work ethic. We, we never, you know, probably, I, I guess I was five, six, seven years old. And since then I, I've worked all day, every day, my entire life. Uh, I grew up in a family that, um, you know, as we lead in our conversation this evening, I, I'll come back and address, but I grew up kind of with that commercial minded uh, understanding of the cattle industry um, to where we were, we were raising cattle, selling to feed yards and, um, it was just a complete different mindset, but my family's always been extremely supportive of education. So I moved off to Lubbock, went to college at Texas Tech, uh, got my undergrad and my master's degree in agriculture, uh, became a full-time banker. And uh, at the same time, in order to supplement the capital needed to be in this industry and to stand on your own, I needed another source of revenue. And, and then it just turned into a career, but my passion and calling always brought me back into agriculture. So uh, with that, I kind of, over the last few years, I, I've really changed the direction of what our operations doing and said, you know, I'm sick and tired of this corporate structure. I'm tired of getting screwed over by the big three. I'm tired of someone controlling the outcome of our profitability. And it's about time that someone in the industry says, you know what, enough's enough. Um, why don't we look at changing our practices to meet with one, what makes better beef and two, what consumers really want and, uh, and kind of create our own destiny. And that's, that's the direction I've been heading with, uh, headed with my cattle operation. 
You know, it's interesting you bring that up because you grew up, you know, like you said, you're probably you probably are fourth, fifth or sixth generational rancher. And, you know, you 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 have the historical reference that you can look about how the how the Texas beef industry has evolved throughout the years. You know, and a lot of people don't have a clue about the Texas beef industry, where it comes from, from, you know, back in the 1830s all the way to the 1870s, you know, after the Comanche Wars, just how how beef really evolved in the state in the Republic. Public. And so by saying that, you're you're probably a historian and knowing the beef industry like you know it on every side, from the banking side to the basically the corporate side to the feedlot side, what was it that you saw that you didn't whenever you were growing up, what has evolved into where you do not like what's going on these days? What can you pinpoint as far as maybe one or two things that you really noticed that changed in the ranching industry? Well, you know, by nature, most people that are ranchers are good stewards. They're stewards of animals, they're stewards of the land. And too often producers, one of the things, producers are always on defense. They felt like the consumers were attacking them instead of attacking the feed yards or the packers. Um, and so right then I realized that, you know, maybe for once the people in my industry are taking the wrong direction. Um, what we got to do is actually tell the story and educate people more than we do actually have to sell ourselves. And I think the other thing that I really notice is, is, you know, we can control a lot more. We can control a lot more of the business side of this industry because a lot of people don't realize, you know, we're having to, we're having to buy basically we're like stockbrokers. We're sitting there having to buy commodities, trade, buy positions. Um, we were positioning cattle. We were buying, uh, doing margin calls, and it's getting. It was getting so complex. And the from the banking side of it, it was when you look at your ROI, it was not profitable trying to do this continuous commercial drain. Um, and most people do it on a much smaller scale. They they have 10 cows. I think the average cow size in Texas now is 14 head. Uh, really? I read that. Really? The other so, and the average rancher is 62 years old. So, there's not young people coming into this industry. Well, along those lines, when you're raising 14 head, you take your calves to the local auction barn and who the hell knows where it's going in the food supply why not take back control of that, be able to provide the communities that we live in with a product that has complete transparency instead of playing defense with our story, why not open it up and let them know everything. Right. Uh, and when that happens, it, it brings a level of trust that that's never, that agriculture has been missing, but we've been blinded by that. These corporate companies have told us what pesticide to use for years what antibiotics, what implants, you follow all these protocols. And at the end of the day, who do they highlight themselves? And they made a, made us the bad guy. Well, why the hell are we supporting what they're telling us to do then? And right. so now I, I'm kind of taking a different approach and hell, let's go with sustainable agriculture. Let's do it our damn way. And I don't really care what they think about it. 
<laughs> that's pretty that's pretty bold and it, it's kind of cool that you you have that viewpoint because you're just not talking about it you're actually you're the one that's doing it and you know that's i, I felt very fortunate to to meet you in the beginning because you know that's kind of what i've seen that's kind of my history of everything and how basically you know with the corporate side of the cattle industry you know the chemical companies basically control it in so many different ways and i think what people are starting to understand is the, the bottleneck of the processors of course the manipulation that goes on there and you're very aware of that but also just kind of the corporate capture of the rancher itself as far as using those chemicals you know that, that they kind of dictate to you from the antibiotics or whatever it is that they have those programs on and so by you kind of going out there and pioneering this regenerative you know type of ranching what kind of feedback are you getting from your fellow guys because you went to school you went to school at, you know tech you went to school at AM a little bit you know everybody in there are people kind of busting your balls are they supportive where do we stand right now well it's kind of a mixed feedback you know i did a blind test with my dad not too long ago my dad, growing up, I ate my first piece of chicken probably when I was in college because my dad was <laughs> and so all he does is eat beef. So I took <clears throat> I took two ribeyes. I intentionally took him one that we raised, and I took him one I bought at H-E-B. And didn't let him know, side by side, cooked them, made him try both, cooked them to his, his liking. And hands down, he picked ours. That same methodology is kind of applied with, you know, the feedback I'm getting from people uh, that I went to school with. A lot of them have been a little bit pissed off with what I'm doing with social media, kind of as if I'm going against our way of life. Well, it wasn't until here recently, um, due to some of the vaccine requirements and all this crap related to COVID, I have one of my closest friends is probably one of the most closed-minded ranchers I know, great guy, but um, he was junk busting my balls over this. And uh, about a year ago, he jumped on the bandwagon. He's doing all natural. He's raising beef. and But he still kind of had, uh, since you're from West Texas, you can understand there are certain rules that apply to a ranching way of life. There are certain ways you approach a herd when you're pinning a set of cows. There's a hierarchy of who gets to do everything. Well, along those lines, he, uh, I asked him, I said, you know, I'm, I'm staying chemical free this year. I'm, I'm switching our whole business model. And he kind of was pissed off over it. I said, why? Why in the hell are you upset that I'm not going to support pick which company, Cargill, Monsanto, Bayer, Pfizer? Yeah. Why are you upset that I'm not going to follow the new uh, shop protocols that they put out? Because the all the programs that they're giving us, the shit's not working. Um, and at the end of the day, did you sell more carcasses this year than when you put them in a feed yard two years ago? Well, well yeah, I did. Were they repeat customers? Well, yeah, they were. Well, did you have any new ones? Yeah, I did. Okay, so what that tells me is the equation says that if you follow and you're doing this, people are tasting something different. They're getting a product they like that's free of all that shit, and they like it better than the stuff they're already buying it at your local grocery store. And so I'm just kind of having to navigate through it. I got some feed yard good friends that are pissed off. Um, sure. They don't like it. 
I'm against it. And then I have some that are kind of open up their eyes for once, not being closed minded and realizing, hey, our, uh, you know, our consumers are shifting this. And, uh, you know, we can't be closed minded or we're going to be left in the dark. And those have started to come around and be more supportive. Right. Well, you know, that's that's actually good because you're you're the perfect gauge. I, I've had a hard time seeing, you know, I've had people that get pissed off at me, you know, being a feed yard rancher, feedlot rancher, because they don't really like my message as much as a regenerative, of course. <clears throat> so I've, I've kind of seen it out there, but it's good to get your gauge of it. You know, and what I like about you is that you're going to do your own thing and you're pretty solid in your decision making skills. You actually see something that a lot of guys don't you're willing to kind of you know get out of that freaking box of that capture of the chemical companies and what are the chemical companies saying to you what are their reps say to you whenever you say hey i'm not doing your stuff anymore i'm going off i'm going to go do it like we've done it in the past you know they've got to have an opinion there's no damn way you can feed two thousand head of cattle without using our freaking fertilizer there's no way you can't not use our pesticide and be able to 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 sustain more or less. And hell, I beg to differ. Um, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of different ways we can do it. You know, what's interesting where I grew up, we had a lot more land available uh, that you could lease. I live in Austin. It is hard as hell to find places to run cattle, um, more or less to get a lease. But what I've learned, you know, is by really practicing rotational grazing practices, by making sure, you know, we use a lot of our own manure and, and, and turn around and fertilize with our own product. One, it's a hell of a lot cheaper. Um, this year alone, I mean, hell, we saw fertilizer almost triple on the commercial side. I, I right. You know, I, I deal with a lot of folks that are on that side of the industry, and they're screaming and, and whining, well, I'm in pretty good shape on my hay crop. I, I'm not really concerned. We had good rains this year. Um, but I've learned that I don't have to utilize on all of those things. With regenerative agriculture, you learn to use all the different raw products to utilize. So with our cow, uh, our cow calf side of the operation, well, maybe my oats and my wheat don't come up. Maybe we don't get enough rain. That's fine. So what I did is I've made partnerships with the local, local microbreweries that are bringing all this cool new beer and, and whiskey into Austin. So hell, we go and we get right. we get their their wet distiller grain that they're going to trash, and we turn around and now we have a, a a natural supplement right to our cows. And I still don't need the damn chemical company. It's pretty right. nice, pretty nice way to take a byproduct that's going to be trashed and hurt our environment and turn around and put it right back in. Where'd you get that idea to, to kind of approach these guys in Austin? Because Austin is the perfect place for it, of course. So funny, funny question. Um, funny story, I guess, behind that. But um, I know I know some folks that, that own a beer company. And anyway, they wanted some advice when it came, you know, with, with financial decisions. So I went down to meet with them. And God, they had some of the most. It, it was a different type of beer. I'll just put it that <laughs> Not really the type I'm going to drink. Sure. But uh, as I taste it, I'm like, I get it, though. I understand the flavor. I understand the hops. So how do you make, you know, you're in downtown Austin. How in the hell do you get rid of your, you know, what do you do with your, your product? 
Uh-huh. Rewind that. I studied abroad in Costa Rica and I studied sustainable agriculture when I was in college. Okay. And I watched some of these same practices that they're doing in a, you know, a third world country. And they had cattle that, that were doing very well. They were performing really well, even which it's a very, they get a lot of rainfall in Costa Rica, but that's where I got the idea. So as I was talking to them, that's what started. And then one brewery led to another. And then now there's a whole bunch of them that reach out to, there's a couple of us ranchers around that people know about. And we all kind of share with each other, you know, this guy makes the trip this week, hits all the breweries the next week, the next guy does. And then we all just drive to each other's place and share it. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good little discovery that you've found being able to do that. Let's go, let's go into the, you're in Austin. Let's talk about your ranch that you have in Austin because you have a couple of them that you use, of course, but the Austin was one is where you, the beef comes out and everything. This is the center point of your business. So let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about regenerative. Let's talk about how you approach the grasses, you know, as far as changing fields, everything that you do. I think a lot of people want to kind of hear that no absolutely so in austin our ranch is not picturesque uh, necessarily um i know a lot of people <laughs> i've been watching feedback on social media about yellowstone everybody's loving the tv show and how beautiful <laughs> the ranch is. um ours in austin is a little bit different um what we did is my in-laws own a, a gravel company so we went, they went back after they had sold gravel we're reclaiming all the land with clean fill we're taking it back into agriculture. So once that's once we've <clears throat> taken these pits and put in clean fill into them, we go back, we replant with native grass or with coastal Bermuda. Uh, in the winter, I will also some wheat and plant some oats. Um, and so when you come, you're going to see a big concrete pile from where we're, we're recycling uh, rock and, and crushing concrete. You're going to see dump trucks bringing in loads and loads of of, of clean dirt that's coming off, you know, Mopac or 183 or who the hell knows what job site it's coming off of. Um, but it's all, as I said, it's all clean. And so we take that and we built pastures out of every single one of these. And so we take our cattle and we rotate them nonstop from pasture to pasture. And then I have, I have several other ranches that we own or lease outside of Boston. And so when our animals are born here, eventually they're going to be shifted to one of the other ranches through the winter, uh, because quite frankly, only we only have so much land in Austin and to run the amount of cattle that we're running. I can't do that in one place. Um, but if you will correctly rotate from pastures in 35, 45 day increments, um, it allows me to utilize our acreage to the best of my ability. Um, and with that, the cattle are born and then they come here for the finishing stages before we take them to harvest. It creates a safe environment. It creates a comfortable environment. And because of that, when you take them to processing, we're not having, uh, you know, bruising issues. We're not, we're able to document our cattle closer. So we know their exact ages. Um, and a lot of the handling practices are what affects meat quality. 
Sure. Talk talk to, talk about that real quick. A lot of people don't realize that. You know, let's let's compare it to you know what people do know, as far as where the beef comes from. You know, usually factory. We, we there's so many different names for it. Let's talk about the importance of the the stress of the cattle and basically the bruising of the cattle, the, the you know the anxiety of the cattle, and how you you pretty much do differentiate yourself is you know from everybody else. Well, I think to do that, I'll just briefly touch on what it looks like when you go buy beef at the grocery store. And when I say that, I'm not including necessarily Whole Foods because they they do support regenerative practices. But um, at, your, at the majority of typical grocery stores, they're buying cattle that have been put into a feed yard. And at a feed yard, you know, you got a you have a pen is what we call it. It's a um, it's a small it's a small little little pen with nothing but dirt uh you know that may have 30 to 50 head and it's less than half an acre i mean they're they're tiny they're they're smaller spaces so the cattle are really really confined um because they are animals they get into heat they mount each other there's not much space for them to get away and so with time they get bruising up in their hip they'll get it on their back which affects your ribeye your sirloin your tenderloin um for us and then on top of that, so it's, you know, they walk into the pen, they see that 80, 85% of them are fat. They're ready to be slaughtered. They get them all out. They cram, you know, 35 to 40 of them onto a double deck cow trailer. They ship them in South Texas. You know, it's three and a half, four and a half hours to, to a kill plant, but they're also shipping them to the panhandle. So they're looking at six, seven hour drive. They're going to, you know, lose 3% of their body weight they're and then they have to sit at the processor waiting to be harvested and naturally they stress a lot and that yeah we always you know there's a term in our industry we call dark cutters and what that means is it's a cow that gets so hot so stressed so frustrated and nervous uh that they tense up their muscles so when you harvest them and you dehyde them you'll start noticing dark spots in your carcass and that's from from overstressing so with us, we're able to keep our cattle in pastures. Um, we're able to give them a supplement of feed the last 90 days. It's a non-GMO uh, ration that <clears throat> helps drive home the marbling because we really specialize in selling that premium top beef right. at the most affordable price that we can, right? And we want to keep spaces. We want our cattle to be comfortable with us. Um then when it's time, I handpick and I go through each week based on who's ready. If they're not, if they're not the optimal uh, specs that I'm looking for, they don't go that week. But then we'll take them. We put them in a trailer, plenty of space. We drive them 45 minutes down the road. They spend 24 hours and get to acclimate at the processing plant I use. Uh, it's a USDA facility. Uh, they do nothing but all natural cattle. And so it's a very well-designed market. And, and they designed it after Temple Granlin, who's an autistic lady that kind of reconstructed the cattle industry on safe handling practices so that from the time they come off the trailer and they go in for slaughter, there's no stress, there's no pain. Um, and you see that in the meat. You get that real nice bright red. You've eaten some of our steaks. We oh, yeah. <laughs> it has a whole different flavor. And I do believe that that safe handling and, and regenerative practices plays a huge role in that. 
Well, I mean, it, it plays so much that there's so much to cover that nobody even knows where to start. You know, nobody really does. I mean, unfortunately, you know, I'm, you know, you know, beef better than anybody I know right now, you know, one of them, at least I know it pretty well from growing up, but there's a lot of people that have no other clue about beef, except that it's in the styrofoam package at the grocery store. Sure. And they don't understand how far removed buying beef like that it truly is from where we need to be. And that's what you're kind of, you're bringing us a, a solution to that. And, you know, it, it's, it's hard for people to understand how, much of the cow that they don't ever even see as far as when it's harvested and what you can utilize whenever you're actually buying from a rancher as yourself, you know, from everything, the different types of cuts that you've told me about, you know, let's, let's start there. That's kind of like cuts 101 in mining your protein. Let's talk about the different stakes just because they can be buzzwords, you know, moving forward. Right. So we joke and we pretty much say if I could turn a whole cow into a ribeye, I wouldn't have to stay in the cattle industry real long because I'd be really rich. <laughs> right. <laughs> but what we do is we spend a lot of time through our social media platform. And in 2022, you're going to see a lot of this from our company um, where we go through and we actually show you how to, some of the cool cuts that you can't necessarily get at the grocery store. You might can get at your local butcher, uh, but we want to introduce people to. Um, one is a chuck eye steak. So when you buy directly from a ranch, we can actually have chuck eyes fabricated. We call them petite ribeyes. They're not them little bitty things covered in fat that you see at a grocery store. You had one of the chuck eyes because I sent it yeah, to you. Yeah, it was it's damn good. And they have a nice fat cap on them. Um, we sell a ton of those. Uh, Denver steaks. Tons of people haven't heard about Denver's. It's my second highest selling steak in my operation. It comes out of the chuck. It actually comes in the heart of the chuck. The chuck eye comes on the bottom end of the ribeye primal. Um, we sell a lot of Denver's. Uh, a lot of chefs are catching on now, and you'll see at some of these um, um, in Austin, some of these barbecue places that are infused with Asian cuisine, they're right. using bavette. Well, what bavette is, is it's the top end, of, or it comes out of sirloin. It looks similar to mm, like a, like a, it's lean like a flank steak but it actually cooks up really, really nice. Um, people use it for asada as well. Um, Terrace Major is a new, new thing with a lot of these chefs. It is a small little cut that's only about a pound, a pound and a half. It's the second most tender cut on a cow besides the filet or the tenderloin. Um, we sell quite a few of those. Uh, Tri-tips, picanhas, um, all meats that I personally grill. Um, because with our cattle, it don't matter what cut you get, you're getting the same amount of marbling. And if you learn how to cook a lot of these cuts correctly, you can still get the tenderness. People are afraid, you know, man, I get a sirloin, that thing's going to be like eating bootlegger. Well, that's the difference right. buying local versus buying from a supermarket. A supermarket, they kill the cow, it hangs two days, day three, they're cutting it, and it's being sent to your local uh, grocery store and from there they break each section up and cut your steaks for us our cattle will hang anywhere from 10 14 21 days those muscle fibers start to tear as they what we call hang and that's what provides the tenderness so my my sirloin um hell it's going to be as tender as what most a lot of people eat 
um, from a ribeye at a grocery store. Well, I had two of those. I had two of those sirloins, and they were definitely just as good as a ribeye from you know from Albertsons or HEB for sure. And so it's pretty cool. We get to, you know, we can fabricate back to the customer specs too. Uh, you know, I have folks that want a want a nice fat cap on a top sirloin. Well, hell, we can do that. We can leave that outside layer. I cut, as you've seen in our shop, um, my New York strip, my ribeyes, everything's bone in. Um, part of that's because you get that that marrow flavor back into the steak, and, man, it just makes it really, really rich. Um, and, you know, a lot of folks don't know what a hanger steak is. You only get one per cow. It comes out of the throat. If you, cu- if you cook that on low heat uh, for quite some time, and then the last couple minutes you turn it up on high heat, uh, direct exposure to your grill – man, it cuts up the best fajita meat you could ever eat. Um, really? We also, my last one is kind of my, one of my new hot things. It's called the Merlot, just like the wine. Right. Comes out of the shank, which is basically the elbow down of a cow or leg down of a cow. Mm-hmm. And so you get four of them, one per leg, and you lay it on the grill, indirect heat for an hour. And then you take it to direct heat for you know, four or five minutes on each side. I marinate it the night before, but there's one vein that runs right through the middle of that muscle. If you cut around that, it is the most tender fajita meat you'll ever put your mouth on or you know, put in your mouth. It's fantastic. Right. We get to we get to teach people these different cuts that they won't see. And then when they buy bulk from us, buy a quarter of a calf or a half a calf, now they're just not getting slammed with, with ground beef and roast. Um and that's part of what our job and we take personal is we want folks to not only enjoy the experience of our beef, but we want you to be able to have different cuts, different meals, different menus uh, to really make make that bulk uh, purchase worth your while. Yeah. And you, everything you just explained, I've experienced because, you know, I've bought <clears throat> twice from you and I just picked up a quarter of a cow that just this past week. And um you know, what do you get from people that come to you the first time and that you've basically had them for a customer, let's say for the last year, how do they evolve as a customer and their education? Because that is something that is notable, you know, because it creates different conversations throughout the time that you're serving them. You know, if they've bought like a half a cow from you and you go and you go back and say, you know, how was that half a cow? There is a conversation there that people probably would love to hear. It is. So, you know, when you buy from me the first time, if you buy a package, a lot of times you're going to meet my delivery guys or they're going to call and, and converse with you. But when you buy in bulk, you deal directly with me. And I'm going to go through a cut sheet and I'm going to explain all these different cuts that we can do because a lot of people have never been exposed. Like, you know, I asked you one day, I'm like, do you like T-bones? Well, if you like T-bones, all the T-bone is, is this the New York strip on one side, the filet mignon on the other. So if we cut T-bones, you don't get strips and filets. Well, if I cut strips and filets, now you have more meals. So you can enjoy that cow a little bit longer um, and you can feed more people that way. Um, I'm not discouraging one way or the other, but sure, it evolves because that first time I'm going to give you all these different options. And it's hard. And quite frankly, if you've never done it, it can be kind of overwhelming. Um, and so for the first time I coach people on what we see purchased most, um, you know, when you get into the chuck section, 
A lot of people have grown up eating bone-in chuck roasts. They're phenomenal. I ate them all the damn time when I was a kid, so I can't stand to eat raw anymore. Yep. <laughs> um, that's the time where I take and I say, guys, look, you know, you're welcome to get chuck roasts. I'll cut them however you want. Or out of that same section, I can cut you a Denver steak. I can cut chuck eye steaks. I can cut flat irons. And I'm going to educate you on all the different cuts you can get from all the different parts. I want you to utilize it. So fast forward into that, I just got off the phone about an hour ago with a guy that had bought a half a beef from me. He's ready for his second round. And uh, we got some good laughs. He, he, he tried some cuts, loved some, and then some of them he's like, eh, that wasn't my expertise. Uh, he, wasn't a, he wasn't as great smoking brisket. So I was telling him some different ways we could utilize his brisket this time. But now it's more of he's wanting to try new things with smoking, with his pellet grill, with his – uh, direct heat with a flat iron grill. And so we fabricated for what his new hobby is. And so instead of, you know, cutting all this stuff out of the chuck, well, hell, he wanted, he wanted to try and do a, a do a shoulder claw. You know? Yeah. And, uh, he was real big into, into smoking. And I suggested, hell, let's cut you a whole shank. It's kind of the new trendy thing in barbecue because briskets have been so expensive. Try, let's try to smoke a shank and hell he's excited. And so it's really cool. It's a conversation that evolves. And now that same customer has probably sent about 10 other people now that buy from us. And it's the same experiences. They're sharing their, their recipes that worked. We're going to be sharing that through our social media and through our website. We want to create a network of people where you can come enjoy our beef together, share cooking ideas and, and really network with each other. Well, you know, and that's that's kind of like the discussion you and I have had about, you know, the, the beef initiative. You know, it's like people need to come to a place where they can really truly get educated and really share their stories and come to, you know, the beef initiative, you know, for a collective of intelligence out there that's it's invaluable right now. And, you know, with you leading kind of the way right now there in Central Texas with, you know, our conversations, there's a lot of people out there that want to hear everything that you're saying today. Is there a lot of ranchers that want to have a voice like you're having a voice right now? Let's say, you know, through a podcaster to get information out there saying, hey, this is kind of how we want to run our business. This is how we've been doing it our whole lives and our tradition. What does a consumer need to know to be able to help you guys out more? You know, what happens so often with ranchers in the last two years, there's been no, there's hardly any places you can go. And I know you've talked on this on, on your other podcast, um, getting spots at processing plants. That's been one of the biggest problems. Um, I'm trying to help with that. Um, I'm actually, uh, I have a partner and we're building a processing plant in central Texas. It's going to be pretty large so that that no longer is a, well, not saying it won't be a problem, but we're going to make a pretty good dent uh, as far as volume to be able to let people harvest. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk about processing real quick. Let's 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 go back and and so people understand the true. You know, what are you going up against as far as whenever you see processors and what is it that really is because this is hard to accomplish. What you're about to do is a processing plant, and you know, thank goodness you know people in the industry and everything. What problems do you see with that? 
here in the beginning of getting the processing plant going forward, what you're going to go up against, and how you see processing plants evolving. You know, when people think of processing plants, uh, there's a couple different trains of thought. One is the old-fashioned meat market you could go to that would kill your animal. Well, now with the way that the way that law is written, if I'm selling you an animal off of my ranch, I'm supposed to have um, a state or a federal USDA, USDA inspection label on my beef. Now, I can sell to friends and family and not have it inspected, which means I can go to, you know, a backyard processor and they could cut it up. But I, I don't like messing with the Fed. I, I don't want to get in the middle of that that conglomerates because it's not advantageous for us so i use a federal i use actually both i use a state plant and what that means is if i use a a a texas federal or a texas regulated plant i can only sell my beef in texas it's not across state lines with our company we ship out of state as well Um, and so i only use it for my local pork I use a federal USDA plant um, that harvests my beef. It's inspected on site. Uh, they label it. They stamp it. It protects me. And as a consumer, it allows you protection knowing that they have looked over the animal for any diseases, um, any outliers that are available. It has been fully um, looked over. So when you go through this process, um, you know, for a small local rancher that's trying to raise beef and uses a local processor those the pricing varies for us but on a general average it goes anywhere from 90 to 95 cents a pound on that animal his dress weight after they beehotted so it's costing us you know um for me most of my steers hang at 850 pounds uh to 900 pounds on average so i'm looking at a 900 processing bill just rough numbers when you buy from the grocery stores, the big packers are getting getting meat cut for 40, 50, 40, 45, 50 cents a pound on hanging weight. So they're half our cost, but it's subsidized. In turn, you're not getting that that artisan uh, uh, manufacturing of your product. You're not getting select cuts. It's pretty much, the, you know, like you see in the grocery store, sirloin, strip, ribeye. You don't get to really get out of the mix um, and you don't you know, get that, that hands-on approach to it. But on top of that, you don't get the quality. You pay for quality. So for us, we have to go through a rigorous uh, system of approvals from the USDA. We have to write our safety plans. They have to be approved as a processing plant. It is hours and days and weeks and months of an approval process to get it done. And you're at their mercy. We can't open our doors until they get full permission. And, you know, (laughs) there's a website called, uh, I think it's called Niche, uh, N-I-C-H-E, Processing Plants. They have some really good information out. Yeah, you get average cost. Yeah. The average cost now to build a plant is over $300 a foot. I mean, it's astronomical to build these small plants. So, you know, we're trying to encourage consumers. We want you to support them. We want you to buy product from them. You'll understand and know the story of 
not just the story. You'll, you'll be able to follow where your beef comes from. But on top of that, you're going to get it fabricated to your, your, your desire. You're going to get it in bulk at a cheaper price than grocery stores. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're not able, you know, we're not an industry that's getting rich. Our costs are so much higher because we're not at the same scale. We're the big corporate packers will kill 5,000 a day. We're going to kill 20, 25, 30. Right, right. Uh, complete different measure. It is a complete measure, but but it gets compared all the time. And, you know, that's a, probably a big problem because a lot of the regulations that you guys have to follow with on the smaller processors, they were written for these large processors. And that's something that a lot of people don't understand. You know, my producer up here, Justin, you've heard me talk of him and, you know, he's opening up a, a processing plant, too. So he's right in the middle of that right now during the holiday season. So it was kind of bad timing for him. But, uh, you know, he talks about, you know, the state of texas let's get one processing plant per county in the state of texas just as a goal you know let's do as many local community processing uh, plants that we can do do you kind of agree with that or do you have a different angle absolutely um <laughs> you know with our business and the rate at which it grew when COVID hit mm -hmm. i was having to juggle between three all of them were an hour damn near in the opposite direction so I'm sitting here driving in full circle all around central Texas to be able to get spots to harvest the demand. So when the grocery stores were running out of food and out of proteins, we weren't. Now, I'm not going to tell you it was easy, but it would be a hell of a lot easier if we could get more plants across the state because there just aren't very many. And there aren't very many because the capital, it takes so much damn money uh, to invest in these things to get them built. And, and so, you know, we've heard of guys trying to co-op and put them together and, and, um, you know, do everything we can to exactly what Justin said, we want to place more and more of these out. And by doing that, it will give consumers more options and more opportunity to buy food that they can one, feel safe about two actually enjoy. And three, the more of these we have available, our pricing is going to be able to be more in line with all this, you know, with grocery store pricing that's subsidized right, uh, and controlled. Ours isn't. Well, and that's what a lot of people don't understand. They always look at, you know, beef from a rancher as being expensive, and it really isn't. If you really, even if it is kind of pricey beef, yeah, it is, but you're not going to meet as much. You're, you're, you know, it's it's nutritional value is so much better. You know, once again, it's a lifestyle that you have to choose. But, you know, by saying that, um, you know, within the, the industry that you see moving forward, how do we get there as far as getting these processing? You're from the banking industry. How do we get the revenue generation? How do we get to where we can start looking at this? Because, you know, there's guys out there that want to do these processing plants, but there's not a good amount of true, like, uh, intelligence to put it all together to make it streamlined, to be able to open up these processing plants. And you're right in the middle of it right now. So what do you well, think? One thing that's probably going to be the most practical is to get more co-ops formed. Um, you know, the cattle industry, not just the, not just the cattle industry, hell, all aspects of, of the agriculture industry. We've been strained on cash flow for years. 
And so a lot of people that once were well capitalized or had a lot of liquidity no longer have it, um, you know, easily accessible. So if we can take 15 or 20 producers, everyone pitch in X amount of money as their equity into this project, um, that would probably be the most immediate. Or two, we do what that that co-op top operation did in Nebraska that was on Fox News and CNN, and you go raise venture capital. But I'm careful. Uh, me personally, I don't like that route. I think you're tying yourself back into the same corporate structure that has done their damnedest to ruin the cattle industry. And so I'd rather go with private money um, and maybe even find a group of, of private individuals, uh, you know, in, in the banking industry, there's tons of private money to, to lend on projects and the subdivisions development. We might even look at creating that, uh, that same Avenue uh, for agriculture. Um, not that there aren't some out there, but there's not many that many people know about. Um, and so I think that would be a great, great. By, by saying that, I mean, you know, as, as far as, you know, the capital allocation and everything, do you see that that is possible? Because you are, you know, you are a banker. You you kind of have an inside, you know, viewpoint of all of this. You know, what what needs to be happening on that side of things as far as that, you know, that money that it would be available for people? Because you're going to have a lot of pe- The reason I ask this, you're going to have a lot of people moving to Texas. We know that. We're going to have a lot of new industry here in Texas because how we're bucking the trend on a federal level and so you know that's what i want the beef initiative to be is is kind of a center point where people can kind of get that you know education but they're they're definitely going to wonder about the allocation of you know how do we how do we get this funded and you just brought that up so let's talk about that you know i don't have a a great immediate resolution to it but um i do think you know the size plants that we're talking about trying to put in these local areas, we're looking at rough numbers. Sorry, I'm going to pull my calculator up here. Sure. You know, 4,500 square feet, probably looking at a million three uh, to get this right. thing built. Rough numbers. Um, and that was also before inflation and construction costs went crazy because I can tell you our plant, <laughs> my our original budget uh, probably increased about 25%. Um, just because of inflation and material costs. But, um, you know, if you're going to borrow a million three, you're looking, you're probably going to have to put, you're going to have to raise probably 300,000 in equity. Uh-huh. So with that, what I would try to do is take a group of producers that could all contribute, you know, 20, 25,000 put a pool together, whether you do a series of, um, you know, um, a C series of investors or, um, you know, and this is where we can come back to consumers too. get a group of consumers who are behind this, this Texas initiative, whether they're a producer or not, they can still support the industry and create a network of, of an investor pool um, in all these different areas to where we can build these. Right. And then now they have ownership into something that they're not only a consumer of, but they have ownership in the industry and they don't necessarily have to own a cow or a, or a pig or a goat or, or sheep or what have you. Um, it allows them to be part of the food chain, which I, I think we would be more surprised how many people actually would have an interest in doing that. 
I think it'd be astronomical. I think the 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 point there needs to be made is this: the, the having the access to awareness of that being a possibility. You know, that's how people just don't have those channels, and you know that's why I, this is one of the major reasons I'm getting the Beef Initiative going is to be that type of channel, saying, "Hey, this is going to be a project we're going to move forward with in the beef industry here, and let's all talk about this. And let's have a discussion about it." And then let's bring some intelligence to that discussion to where we can say, this is a good idea. You know, especially that last one you just posed, because a lot of consumers want to be part of their food. And especially now that people are becoming more aware of food intelligence that they need, they're going to be looking at their children's food. And if they can invest in their children's future by investing in their local food production, there's no question about that. You know, we just have to figure out the ways to do that. The on ramps, I guess you would say. I think so. And another thing to think of is, you know, because so much of the food source in the United States is subsidized, people spend less than 10% of their gross income on food. So we've gotten acclimated over the last, you know, 50, 60 years into having cheap food. Mm -hmm. Cheap food, we see what happens. You have high cholesterol, you have high you know, blood pressure, you have sugar Di issues. Yeah, diabetes, um, everything, obesity. Exactly. We have it all. And, so, and so either, A, we have to train people to, to understand the numerical value of eating better foods, or B, you know, one of the complaints I get all the time is, oh, we, you know, our company, we only go to a few farmer's markets. Um, a lot of times just because by the time you sit there all day and pay an employee, the return isn't high enough. But one of the complaints we get with farmer's markets is when you go, damn, the protein's just so expensive. Only the rich can eat it. Well, what we've got to be able to do is figure out if we can get enough of these plants built and we can get spaces for folks, we've got to grow these plants to scale so that, you know, the processing cost is reasonable to the producer. But then the producer has got to be able to have an outlet besides just farmer's markets to attract people. My goal with what our company's trying to do with my partner in the, in the processing plant uh, with our genetics is we want to be able to take an, you know, a, a premium product, but be able to distribute across, across all lines. I don't just want the wealthy people to be able to buy my steaks. Right. If they want to do that, they, they can buy Wagyu that are a much higher point. Um, I want them to enjoy them. I want, uh, you know, the hardworking blue collar guys to be able to enjoy them. I want everyone to be able to do it. So we got to create a price point that works for them, that is still profitable for us <laughs> and trickles down the whole chain. And I think it can be achieved. Well, I think that's where people don't understand is that the more that you can localize your beef is it more affordable it's going to be for that blue blue collar guy that is the biggest problem right now that is the disconnect because the travel the distance that is traveled to deliver this protein to other people either if it's shipping by air or whatever you do when you could do it one thing that if if we were just if you were feeding a 60 mile radius your beef would be a lot more affordable yeah and that's you know that's one thing that we've looked at with our company this year. You know, we we were doing door-to-door -door delivery, and we were trying our damnedest to keep the cost down. But, you know, fuel's gone up so high, and, you know, commercial insurance costs to have drivers on the road is just accelerated. And so we're kind of 
shifting towards doing direct shipping uh, right to your door versus just us delivering. Now, when you buy in bulk, it's not, it's, it's not, <laughs> it won't work for me to ship because it costs us too much. We'll deliver on those. Um, but with our box program, that is why you hardly, rarely hear of small producers. And I would say we're actually pretty large for a small producer, um, volume-wise, trying to get into their own distribution because the cost is so high. But if we can condense that, get our density greater, uh, get our customer base uh, really honed in and expand, well, then, of course, it'll absorb that cost cheaper. Now we're able to provide uh, quality beef at a cheaper price, and that's exactly what we're trying to do. And with that, I want to be able to get other ranchers on the exact same protocols that we are with their shot programs on, on the better genetics and to follow suit. And now you're not having to trust, you know, a company that says, Hey, we, we buy from local ranchers used to support our product. And those are great places. I know why they do it because the distribution cost is so crazy. Those guys are experts at it, but we can also do it ourselves too. And that's what I'm trying to encourage other producers to gear that direction. Now we got to get consumers on board supporting this movement. And if they do that, we'll be able to provide that. Yeah. And, you know, the distribution is, is huge. And it's, you know, I drove to Austin and picked up my, my beef from you. And there's a lot of people, I keep on telling people, anywhere you are across the United States or the world right now, because there's a lot of people in different countries listening to this off and on, but what you really need to do. And I encourage people is to go meet people like you Cole and just say, Hey, how, how can I help you? What's the best way that I can facilitate what you do in my need? And if it's, if it's, if it's a Saturday morning, you know, go pick it up. But you know, I think I think this relationship needs to take place on a bigger scale, and I think it lives are improved by that because you develop this relationship. And I tell people you better meet a rancher and get to know them as good as you can to be able to sell them, uh, send them, you know, Merry Christmas cards, because that's the type of person that you want to know whenever we're talking about true animal protein and food. You there? I'm here, sir. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You cut out a little bit there. Um, so anyways, that's that, you know, I guess it, as far as anybody listening to here in Austin and everything, what can people do to make it easier for you? Then I'm going to transition into something else. Sure. You know, what we ask is continue, you know, help share our social media, help share our website, you know, tell people about the quality of product, give us feedback. Um, I, I'm always a student and and uh, in taking positive feedback. I have chefs all the time. I had one today that gave me some feedback on on some short ribs we cut, and uh, productive criticisms. And hell, we turned around, we did some things, and and uh, he's much happier. The consumers are happy, um, but we just want to continue expanding that network. And if people will do that, we're going to be able to continue to provide and deliver uh, through our on our commitment. And just the same, you're going to be able be able to enjoy a high quality protein grown right here in Austin, Texas. 
Yeah. And as far as that is your client base right now, you've got some restaurants, you've got, of course, you know, um, your retail side of things, you have your wholesale side of things. Where are you looking to expand that right now? Are you doing more restaurants throughout the Hill Country? Yeah, we are going to keep doing the restaurants. Restaurants are really good for us. They help us balance inventory on the whole animal. And so they're a key part to us. Um, You know, on the wholesale side in the farm to table world, it's really hard for us to make very much margin, but it's not designed for that. We want more people to go and we want these chefs cooking our product. So people are like, damn, that's one of the best steaks I ate or damn, that's one of the best bavettes or that was an awesome hamburger. But guess what? That company charged you 12, you know, 15 bucks for that hamburger. However, you also just ate something where you can know where it came from. And on their menu, you'll see our company. You can look us up and you know exactly what you got. And what I found, we're real excited. In Austin, the top 10 list of 10 best burger places, we serviced three of them. And they were at the very top of the list. So it tells us that consumers really do care about quality. Yeah, they do. And I always tell people this. I said, you know, after you try this, you're not ever going to go back to the grocery store. It just doesn't happen. If you if you have any, um, you know, integrity to you whatsoever when it when it comes to steaks, you just you, you make it happen after that, you know, and moving forward with the, you know, the food manipulation, the price manipulation, you know, it's a no brainer to me to kind of move in this direction. And, you know, I want you you know, your and I relationship is going to grow and evolve because, you know, I really want to know more about the processing plants. I want to know more about, you know, your, your kind of your vision and everything. I want to take a step back and let's tell people kind of how you get here as far as being a Texan and being, you know, a fifth or sixth generational rancher. What is it about your heritage and your tradition that you, you know, that it's just in you and that people don't understand about, let's say cowboys, ranchers, Texans, whatever it is that, you know, that people don't understand that's it's kind of cool because, you know, you talk about Yellowstone and, you know, how it's done. It's one of the most popular TV programs, I guess, right now. I don't have a TV, so, but I've seen Yellowstone and everything and it's kind of fun, but let's talk some real talk here and, uh, you know, let's, let's talk about your, your professional team roping too. Well, you know, it's kind of along that Yellowstone line. I'm really... You know, everybody has a position on it. Those of us that are in the cattle industry get frustrated. Probably no different than people that were in the military when they watch uh, army movies. They're like, hell, that's not really how it is. Or little bitty bits and pieces we're going to tear apart. But they've done a damn good job trying to portray it. Now, as far as all the killing and stuff, um, (laughs) I'll tell you, I hadn't been a part of a ranch that's quite like that. But, you know, what I explain to people I've had this question posed to me by some very smart investor types. And they have said, why would you invest as much money as you do into an industry that has such a low ROI? Very valid question. As a banker, I'd probably ask a hell of a lot of people the same question. Ties right into team roping. It's a lifestyle choice. Uh, It's bred in your blood. It's something I can't give up. It's it's no different than uh, whatever, you know, you choose what your passion is and, and it sticks with you. Um, I love being a steward of the land. I love getting on a horse. Uh, that's one of the cool things. We're in Austin. I still pin cattle on a horse. Unless it's faster to be on my four-wheeler for the day. Um, 
we still do that. And um, it's that, that Western tradition of going back to, to where it was all designed and what the true purpose was. Um, you know, I love to compete. And with that, that's what still uh, pushes me to team rope. So I'm the header. I'm the guy that comes out and ropes the steer by the horns and my partner ropes the feet. Um, and it's, you know, you, you, it's judged by, we both come out of a box. I rope the head, he ropes the feet. We get the ropes tight and it's a timed event. It's the, it is the most humbling sport because in one day you will be on top, but it's such, such short lived. You can't live on your laurels longer than 24 hours because in the, you're only our our saying and mantra is you're only as good as your last run, and uh, I love being challenged and um, and so I, I still compete as often as I can. Uh, I just got back from from heading out to uh, Arizona and to Las Vegas to the World Series of Team Rope and Finals, and uh, it allows me because uh, I wasn't quite the athletic talk to play pro football or basketball or. Uh, but I went to college on a rodeo scholarship and, um, it's, it's the people, uh, it's the, the, the lifestyle. It's, man, I don't even know what all words to use to explain. Well, it's kind of funny. It's, you know, you, you talked about before, you know, 18 hours driving, it, there's a grind to that, that you get used to as far as growing up like that, you know, to, to team rope. I mean, you have your horses, you have your tack, you have your trailers, you have everything that you're hauling with you whenever you're really on the road and you're, you're doing the rodeo. And, and a lot of people don't understand that, that it's a proverbial road trip that never ends. And then you have highs and lows that just happen with it. Like you said, I mean, you can win one day, the next day you're, you know, you've, you've failed. And, you know, it is a grind that basically it just, it, it, it's a way of life. Like you said, it's a lifestyle, but there's something about the rodeo industry and just the heritage of Texas and of, of course, across the United States, but we're in Texas. I talk Texas. So, but there's something there that is very magical. And, you know, I wrote a, I wrote a piece and I said, we well, have to get more cowgirls into Bitcoin and the people go, what are you talking about as well you know cowgirl you know they have a good relationship with their horse they they know how to have a relationship they know how to you know be a partner and a teammate with that you know with that horse and everything on a way that a lot of people don't understand and you know there's that's something that's magical just about you know growing up a cowboy cowgirl around the livestock around the agriculture having that access as a child is golden it is something that is a gift and i've always noticed that as far as everybody that i grew up with you know grew up through the 4-h do it you know the did ever the rodeoing the hunting whatever it is there's something special about it there's something different about it and a lot of times people do say just like you said it, it, it's something that's unspoken it's just kind of in your blood it is uh, i joke with my parents sometimes and i tell them if they hadn't bought me a horse uh the best thing they did was probably one because it kept me from getting in trouble. Uh, but, it, you know, the old adage is, is rodeo's a worse drug than probably the hardest ones you can buy on the market. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it is, it's, it's building that camaraderie and, and training a horse and uh, the camaraderie amongst people. Uh, you're calm. And I read your piece about we need more cowgirls and that's the truth. Uh, you know, my wife, she's, uh, 
beautiful, beautiful lady. And my goodness, she is not hesitant to put you in your place in five seconds. There you go. Um, <laughs> she will outwork any man that I've ever hired to work on this ranch. And then she'll turn around and dress up and be uh, as pretty as you can see in a dress. That's just, that's how she is. She's, she's tough, but she's a way better horseman than I am. Is she? Uh, I'm more of a competitive. Oh, she's got the touch. She's, she's, Awesome. Was, she, was she a barrel racer? Yeah. 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 She barrel races and she ropes with me because in Austin, there's not a whole lot of people that do it. My, no. my normal partners live in, uh, I have one that lives about 40 minutes away. The other one lives three hours. So we've just built a, you know, we built timing with each other over the years that we don't really get to practice together very much. So when I practice at home, she, she's the volunteer uh, every time, but she's pretty damn good at it. That, that's pretty awesome. I mean, I just, it's, it's kind of cool that, you know, we're going to bring you into this story. Let's, let's talk about, you know, because there's, there's a lot of people out there, you know, and you're starting to discover Bitcoin and, you know, I've promised you from the beginning, we're not going to rush into this because this is about adoption and you know about adoption because you're a banker. You've had a lot of things that have changed throughout the years as far as application layers of transactional things and everything that you deal with as a banker. And so with the, the Bitcoin world, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that are ready to go and to really start um, targeting themselves with local beef producers. And of course, in Austin, you're one of them. And, you know, everybody, uh, we, we were doing with the beef initiative, what we're going to do, and you and I have talked about this, we're going to be kind of a, do a service providing to where we're going to onboard you in ways where you can't accept that Bitcoin in a way that it's working with your legacy system. You know, and that's something that we've noticed and that we've been working with behind the scenes ever since you and I first started talking that as the beef initiative what we're going to do is we're going to look at your solutions that you have right now we're going to help you out and being that service provider is going to be able to have that bitcoin adoption and you know i hear it every day everybody wants to you know purchase from you and what i want to tell everybody out there is that yes we're we're into the bitcoin adoption stage you know cole is he he's definitely excited about it he's on board and everything but what we have to do is we have to make sure that it, because this is kind of the first thing we're we're moving we're front running something here and it's going to be something that's very beneficial and you know i tell i'll tell everybody this that if you're wanting to deal with the rancher and this is what you're going to do is you need to go out there and meet that rancher and you need to figure out how he does his business you need to ask the right questions and you need to see how you can help him and if it's if it's in the beginning you're you're going to buy beef from him and you're going to develop that relationship that is something that i want to really people to understand how important that is because they don't really truly realize what you guys are up against as far as how the food supply is being manipulated the processors as we discussed how they are able to bottleneck our food supply systems and i really want people to understand the true importance of what you've got going on here cole because i look at it as something that's stealing back our heritage and our traditions that you know have been stolen from us in a lot of ways and in how we can get that back and i think we have a pretty good plan here as far as our collaboration together and you know with with everything that you know i'm bringing a lot of different content into the beef initiative one of the most important things is going to be i think this processing is going to be something that we really want to stay on top of to really educate and you know i'm i feel very lucky to have you as far as helping contribute to that message 
Well, thank you. And and you couldn't have said it better, Slim. You know, we're re- we're we're excited and looking forward to integrating uh, Bitcoin in our platform. Um, one, uh, you know, maybe a lot of the listeners may may not realize, you know, the cattle industry. <laughs> we've always been twenty years behind on. It seems like uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, farming technology, maybe not. Right um, now, hell, we, you can farm with a GPS stuck in a tractor and sit and watch your tractor drive itself. But um, you know, with currency and being able to convert Bitcoin into cash, because we're still having to buy commodity and take care of all our re- our our feed and and those things, unfortunately, with cash. It's taking us just a little bit of time and making sure it integrates perfectly with our platform. It's a little hard with beef when you're selling cuts because then we have to make a whole new menu. We are working on it. Uh, I just ask for uh, all the listeners, just be a little bit gracious with us. It may take just a little bit longer because, one, for the integration. uh, Two, we're kind of in a busy time of year. We're right in the middle of calving season. Holiday season in the meat business is insane. (laughs) And... uh, I got three people, me, my wife, and well, I guess four, uh, two employees. So uh, bear with us. Uh, they handle the meat stuff, uh, and I, I'm we're very much involved. But she and I run this whole operation, and it's uh, it's a lot. So well, it is well, coming. Yeah, it is coming, and you do a hell of a job. I mean, from going to Vegas, doing the, the World Series, you know, the team roping to you know your banking gig and to ranching. Uh, I don't think anybody can really compete with that right now. So, you know, give some respect and some graces, as you said, it's, it's pretty damn impressive. And you, you, your kind as who you are, Cole, is, is, is the type of personality that you have. You're humble as all get out. And I really respect that. And I appreciate that. And you've been really open about talking with me and I want people to understand that's hard for somebody like me, a punchy little wannabe cowboy <laughs> type, to go up to these ranchers and really, you know, be able to have dialogue with them and, and to gain that trust. That is an art form. Uh, I think we'll get better with it as far as bringing Bitcoin into the discussion. Uh, I think that as the beef initiative grows, you know, you're going to be part of that growth. And I think that'll bring a lot of value to, you know, people's understanding and to their lives. The reason I'm doing this is so I, I want to get the children eating really f- a good food again. That is my number one why, you know, that the reason I'm doing this. And so with that type of partnership that we're going to have moving forward, you know, um, you say when, when you say a processing plan, are you talking about next year in 2022? Do you think it will be possible? It'll be up and running by that time. Our plan is to have is hopefully by the end of Q1 of 2022, we'll have our doors open. Really? Um, that fast. We're, we're shooting hard and heavy. Um, I'm, you know, in our industry and in that old cowboy adage, you know, we're kind of a close knit group and usually we're a little, a little hard to appeal what you were along those lines you were talking. I've always kind of had that chameleon effect. I, I can throw yeah. a, a coat and a tie on if I need to go downtown or I can uh, shoot shit and, and drink beer with, uh, with the best of them if I need to. But, um, you know, I want to be progressive and be different. Um, I understand the value of change. I understand the value of Bitcoin and I understand the value exactly what you're talking about with a processing plant and the service. And ideally what I would even love to see is for us to master 
uh, that Bitcoin transaction through our meat company to start with and then be able, hopefully, uh, with time to incorporate that on into our processing plan as well. That would be awesome to be able to do it through your process. I, I see, I talk about this all the time from my understanding of, you know, beef and Bitcoin, that, you know, Bitcoin's really going to be a base layer of value in ways that a lot of people aren't seeing just yet. And it's going to be fun to get to that educational level of people say, oh, okay, I see, I see this angle now after they learn more about the beef industry, you know, having you come on these shows and talk and, and, you know, having, you know, Justin, you know, this is the intelligence you guys are going to bring, you know, that conversation is going to really expand. And I've been through adoption within software with, you know, technology and everything. This does take, take a little time. Uh, you know, back to reiterate, I just, I feel very fortunate to have met somebody because it is hard to approach a rancher. It's hard to drive up into in a truck and say, hey, I want to talk about your business. <laughs> you know, they're not always going to be the most, you know, open because they they've there's there's got to be a little bit of paranoia there because you know the beef industry has always been something of a hard-fought battle well i've always gotten frustrated too within my own industry you know there's a secret to to raising quality beef there isn't a hidden recipe um too often people want to you know i guess in my industry it feels like so many want to hide their secrets on what their ingredients are in, in their feeding ration or how they rotate their pastures. Well, I look at it a little different. Um, I don't, you know, there are a ton of people that sell beef just like we do uh, that are ranchers. I completely support every method from grass fed to uh, grass finished to grass fed grain finished, you name it. Um, I hope that listeners will support anyone that's in their area. I don't look at it as a competition. I look at it more as if we'll all unite, we're not sitting here having to fight and battle corporate America. We're bringing it right back home. And I also believe that, you know, the folks that are honest and, and, and very transparent with folks, you're going to want to do business with them. And that's how I'm not a, I'm no car salesman. I'm not, not someone you hire to do cold calling. That's not my expertise. I'm kind of a no bullshit type person. I'm going to shoot you straight and um, you'll know where you lie with us. But I, I think people respect that. People want open dialogue, open communication. And that's one thing I hope I can get more people in our industry to do is to, is to open up, help consumers understand what they're getting, help them understand cuts of meat. Hell, help them understand a lot of times I get what's the difference in Hereford, Charlay, Wagyu beef. Let's explain it. Um, I have yeah. no knowledge against any of them. I can tell you why I raised what I raised, what my financial decision was. Um, but, you know, everything has a purpose. There's a guy down the road that does longhorn beef. Um, for folks that like a really, really lean cut of beef, his fits perfect. And I would send them to him in a heartbeat. And he'll tell people no differently. If you want stuff that has a lot more marbling, you need to go see Cole. <laughs> I mean, we collaborate. We're not trying to fight against each other. Um, I don't look at it that way. I've, I've done that in any any business I'm in. Uh, you won't ever hear me go against a competitor. Uh, uh, as long as they're, they're upstanding individuals, I'm in complete support of anyone that wants to jump in, in the game with us. 
Yeah, and that's what we have to. People need to understand this is this is not about a competition. There's enough to go around here, and you know, I tell everybody, you meet a rancher, and he, if he isn't like very proud to be telling you how he does his business, then you know there might be a problem there because you come across a rancher that really wants to talk like you do. As far as you're proud of your craft, you know, you want to say, hey, I want you to be educated. I want you to know exactly how my thought process here, from financial to all the way to the sourcing of the the nutrition and so you put all that thought into it people say oh he's just raising cow well you know what it's hard as hell to raise a cow and all the dis- type of genetics and everything that you have to go through as far as their feeding their timing and everything so once people start going into that rabbit hole of understanding of the cow the utilization of the cow and what all goes into it it's going to be it's going to be fun to kind of watch play out here in in this space that we're creating and because we're going to have a lot of good discussions about you know decentralizing our food in a way that gets away from these global corporations the big three as you like to call them and i think once we get that awareness out there we're, we're going to be part of you and i talked about before we have this year is is the year to do this you know it, in, in from your ranching standpoint and where I came in from the game from the Bitcoin side into, you know, my past of, you know, growing up in Texas, West Texas, knowing cattle and agriculture, you know, this is the time and we all have to work together to get there. And so let's all contribute together and, you know, let's all be a part of this and let's create something a hell of a lot bigger than what we've ever seen. And um, that's my goal. I really want the beef initiative to be something that anybody that can come to in these early adopters as yourself are going to be huge contributors to this content, to this education that people really want to hear. And they they're 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 yearning for it. And so this is going to be a fun, fun ride. And so by saying all that, what I want to do is I want to have you on like throughout basically the next you know month or two. If, if you have time, of course, because I know how sure. busy you are, but I would really like to extend this conversation into something that goes a little bit deeper. Like one time, we're just going to be talking about processing. And the other time, we're going to talk about basically, you know, uh, producing and uh, distribution. Because I want you to break down, hey, where are the holes here? Where do, what do I see holes in this industry? What am I trying to plug? And that way we can continue this. And people that are trying to get into it can use this as a reference point and you so know, go ahead you bring up a good point slim one thing i think i'd kind of brief you on this story but one of your followers the other day called and ordered some beef and we made a joke because i was telling him i said you know i'm being introduced to bitcoin i don't know a whole lot about it mm-hmm. and i said hell from from what i thought the demographics were of people in bitcoin was the exact opposite of what i realized but he opened my eyes to something and uh, I just wanted to take a minute and, and quite frankly, personally thank your listeners um, because he gave me some some feedback and distribution. Uh, I'm learning this business. I, I don't know a whole lot about it. Um, right. That was extremely helpful. So you ask all the time or you've asked several several times throughout uh, our conversation tonight and, and other conversations how people can help. Uh, I encourage your listeners to please uh, provide feedback, any ideas that they have to where we can better market um, other solutions that we can do that that makes them feel more comfortable or how we can better penetrate other areas of the market uh, more effectively. Um, 
man, we would really, really appreciate that because we're all students and we're learning every day. And in agriculture, I promise you, we need all the help we can get. So uh, I want to thank you for that's that. A, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great point because you know cows, you know beef, <laughs> you know, that that's what you know. And, you know, people, you know, the consumers need to understand that they see a lot more of maybe, you know, the, the other side of things that you, you don't have as much access to. So being able to share this type of information back and forth and like you did tell me about that person that called you up and you had that conversation in the distribution that you guys talked about. And, you know, that that's that's golden. I mean, that's that's what this is all about that's what we're here to do is to share and grow together. And, you know, it's, it's fun to have you show up to your, you know, somebody's house and to have that beef ready to go. They know they're going to, I tell people this every once in a while, I said, you buy a freaking half a cow, the first couple of nights, you're going to get up in the middle of the night and you're going to go look in your freezer. You're going to do it. Because <laughs> you're going to see everything, you're going to feel proud of yourself, and you're going to say, "Hey, I'm taking care of my family, I'm taking care of my children, and you know, I've got some entertainment I got to do now too. I've got friends that I want to talk about with this. I've got things that I got to get going now, and just by doing that, just that one little lifestyle change of getting into beef, it, it does. It, it gets into your kind of your your psyche a little bit, so. And, you know, I, I've been telling people, you know, let's start looking at all these small towns. Let's start looking at the small ranchers. Let's just start having these conversations. And so, you know, let's do this again. It's it's getting uh, not late here yet, but tomorrow is uh, Christmas Eve. And so, you know, let's bring in the new year um, with some cool fellowship i'm going to try to get this podcast out as close to christmas as i can get my production guys and you know we're going to have this conversation one thing that i'm i'm going to float by you i'm looking at doing something in fredericksburg texas somewhere in about march and i would love k and c to come and be the sponsor rancher there and we're gonna we you know we have meetups in bitcoin i'm gonna have a meetup but it's going to be called a meat meetup and we're going to start a tradition here in texas Texas and we're going to do you want to do a dinner you want to do a meetup with a wine pairing I'm really good friends with a uh, a young lady I went to college with that owns a winery there well I think we just have a plan that we just got to pick a date now so let's get this done and uh you know I, I was talking to some people out there in the hill country and I said we need to get the hill country involved in this discussion and I think there's a lot of people a lot because there's a lot of people that have little plots of land out towards Fredericksburg, you know, all the way from Johnson City to Ballinger to, you know, Brady to Eden to, you know, <laughs> yeah, there you go, man. It's all over. People do not know that part of Texas and how beautiful it is. So let's get people coming the out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We, we run to Fredericksburg some, and every time we do, it is huge for us. So I, I think, I think that's an excellent idea. Yeah, and, and you you bring the wine and everything. We'll get some people out there because Fredericksburg is a fun little town. It's you know it's touristy right now, but uh, we Absolutely. can really pull off a, a heck of a show. And you know, we're gonna have a lot of competition, but it'll be. I think we should probably do it around spring breakish, around South by Southwest, because we can bring the beef to the country 
bring it out to Fredericksburg and people that want to get out of the city can come out to Fredericksburg and kind of check, check us out. And we can really, you know, expand this, this conversation and this awareness. Cause I want the beef initiative to be worldwide. I want people to see you. I've got a friend and, you know, I don't know if you've listened to uh once bitten podcast that I've done, but it's Prince Daniel and he's in France, you know, and he, he lives in France and him and his family just went and picked up their beef yesterday from a, a local, um, rancher there in France. That's, that's a cool story, you know, and, and, and it all started because we started talking about this collectively. And so I see this as, you know, we're going to have to have some meetups all over the United States. Let's I can agree more. Let's, let's do it. Let's do this. Well, I want you to wish you a Merry Christmas. Thank you, Cole. It's, you know, thank you for selling me. You know, that was my father's beef that I bought. I got him moved into a new place in a small town that uh, is going to be awesome. And he got to move in with a quarter side of beef. And I appreciate you. Oh, I sure appreciate your time and thank you yeah. so much. Well, and uh, we'll be uh, we'll we'll be meeting again after the first of the year, and I'll let everybody yes. know that. So you're going to come back on, and we're going to have another hour and a half conversation. So, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, Cole. You too, sir. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye bye.